You are listening to the podcast of the Sunset Church of Christ. From a lesson presented on November the 3rd, 2019. The title of the lesson is Choices That Young People Must Face. If you would like to read a written version of this lesson, you can do so at our website, www.sunsetchurchofchrist.net, under the lessons for 2019. Thank you for listening. I don't know, uh, do many of you like to watch game shows? Uh, you know, some I do and some I don't. I, you know, I, uh, I tried out for a game show once, or I wanted to, and I didn't get the chance to do it. And I found out they really like, uh, you know, it's not so much how smart you are. They like people that look like they would be a lot of fun on TV. And you can, I get in front of the camera, and, you know, I, I would panic. But I thought one that would have been fun, it's not around much anymore, it's the old show Let's Make a Deal. Do you remember that show? Uh, I liked it because, you know, you would wear costumes. It always looked like a lot of fun. But I just liked the idea that they would say, hey, here's two doors. And, you know, behind one is a million dollars. Behind the other is a goat. And I just always thought a game show, you know, as a young, I thought a game show where you could win a goat was pretty neat. But you get older, you realize you don't want a goat. You want you want a million dollars. Imagine for a second you were in that show. And uh, they, they put you out there and there's two doors. And one door... One door has a vicious lion behind it. You open the door and the lion will jump out and get you. The other door said a million dollars. And you think, all right, I could use a million dollars. You might even think, you know, it's just not even worth it, 50-50. Well, well here's, the, here's the catch, okay? In front of each door is a person. And the doors aren't marked. You don't know which door is which, obviously. But you can ask the person a question. You can ask them one question, the person in front of each door. But you only get to ask one, you know, one of the people a question. You can't ask them both a question. Only one question, but here's where it even gets more complicated. You're told ahead of time, one of those people tell you exactly the truth. You know, if he's in front of the million dollars and you say, hey, what's behind this door? He'll say a million dollars. Or if he's in front of the door with the line, you don't know which. And you say, what's behind this door? He'll tell you the line. But the other guy, you know where this is going? Yeah. The other guy is only going to lie to you. So if he's in front of the door with the line, he'll tell you a million dollars. You open the door, there's a line. Or... Or if he's in front of the lion, or you know, or in front of the million dollars, he tell you the lion. You think, well, I don't want to open that door, and you can't tell them apart. You don't know which one's which. You have to ask one question to determine whether you're going to walk away rich or walk away mauled by a lion. You know, at first you think this is ridiculous. Who would sign up for a game show like that? But let me just tell you, life is like that. That's life. Making a decision, making a series of decisions, and you don't know exactly what questions to ask. And you go through life making decisions like that. In particular, though, we call those moments critical moments or critical choice moments. That point where you're on the road and the road forks and you've got to pick which way you're going to go. And, you know, one will get you to where you want to go and the other one could just lead off a cliff. And you've got to figure out which one do I have to do. And life is like decisions, critical choice moments where maybe it's just a very simple decision you're about to make. Maybe it's a very obvious decision, which door to open. That's not a hard thing to do to open a door. But, but if you've chosen wrong... Uh, there's some significant consequences to it. And if you've chosen right, there's significant consequences to that as well. This morning, 
I'm talking to everyone in this room, but there is a particular idea I desperately want to get across. And that is, uh, for a moment, I'm going to speak for the congregation. And I'm going to do so carefully because uh, uh, I want to invest the idea that this is a thought that every one of us has. And that is that the people that we're the most focused on are the people in those critical life choice moments. And particularly, you're within a certain age group primarily. Between the ages, I just made these numbers up, by the way. So uh, let's just say young, you know, what we sometimes call adolescent. You're 11, 12, 13. Up to young adulthood, where you're an adult, but you're kind of new at an adult. You're, you're just figuring out how to adult. You're in your early 20s. And you're in the process of making the most important decisions of your life. A whole bunch of them. And there are rooms where one is a million dollars and one is a lion, and you've got to pick wisely which one you're opening. And by the way, this is not one room. This is a whole hallway of rooms where you've got to make these critical decisions. This church, this congregation, this family is obsessed with doing everything we can to help those who are in that critical choice area make the right decisions. As I said, I'm going to speak for the whole congregation. I don't think anybody's going to disagree that one of our most important ideas as a church is to help the people that are in that critical choice area make those multiple super critical decisions. Because what we want you to know, we as the congregation want the people going down that hallway to know, and again, like I said, I'm talking to you if you're you know, 11, 12, 13, uh, all the way up in your 20s, as we want you to know that, that these decisions you're making, they are the big ones. Isn't it kind of strange that you're going to make a series of decisions, they're going to determine the rest of your life. I've known people who have said, I've known that some of you have said, you know, it's crazy that the most important decisions of my life were made by an 18-year-old, a 16-year-old. It's kind of like saying, you know, the decision whether or not we're going to drop an atomic bomb on another country, we say, well, you want somebody invested with age or reason or knowledge to make a decision like that. But in our lives, those decisions of whether or not those big things happen are made by teenagers, are made by people in their early 20s, and they determine what our life is going to look like. And the only way you get to make the right decision is if you know what question that riddle demands. Not that riddle necessarily that I just gave you, although I didn't give the answer, and I'll give it to you in a minute. But the idea of life being a riddle of which door to pick, that's the thing that we're obsessed with helping you make. Those decisions. What are the decisions I'm talking about? I, I think you can probably guess those. Number one, the most important decision of your life, right? Whether or not you're going to choose to be a disciple of Christ. Most likely, listen to the statistics on this, most likely you'll make that decision by the time you're 23, 24. And if you don't, you're not going to do it. Now I'm going to be careful to say that's not always true. In fact, that's probably half of us here would say, that's not true of me. But statistically, if you're growing up in a Christian home or a home where one of your parents is a Christian or you've come uh, to the church early on and you're, you're participating because you're brought here by a family, you're going to make the decision to decide to become a disciple by the time you're about 21, 22, 23, or you're not going to do it. Statistically, that's how it works. 
Like I said, again, for those people who, whose parents are Christians, who, who come to the church early on as, as, as part of a family, if you don't choose to be a Christian pretty soon, it, it doesn't happen. So that's a critical decision. You're walking down. In fact, like I said, uh, maybe not the first one, but the most important one, absolutely. Right after that decision, you've got another decision you have to make. You have to say, well, which church family am I going to be a part of? And while that decision, you might be able to change it later. In fact, a lot of you have changed it, and that's good. By and large, it's another decision that has a huge consequence in your life and who you're going to be. And making the right choice about what church family you're going to pick is a monumentally important task that a lot of times gets made without the kind of wisdom we, we need to make that decision. Here's another one. How about what you're going to do with your life? I talk to people all the time and say, you know, I really wish that when I was 18 I had gone and done this thing or when I was 21 I had done this thing and, and set in order a certain things so that now I'd be receiving the blessings of those things much later in my life. That's a big decision. That's an important door. You've got to go past this room and, and it literally is like a lion and a million dollars depending on which choice you choose. You can choose a vocation, a career, an education that eats you alive. Or you can pick one that's very rewarding. And of course, I'm not just talking about the, the physical blessings. I'm, uh, I'm obviously more focused on the spiritual blessings because lots of people make choices about their vocation that spiritually destroy them and they had no clue that would be the result. It's huge. Second most important decision you're going to make in your life, you're going to make in that period of time, typically, not always, that is, who are you going to spend your life with? Who's the person you're going to join as your helpmeet, to use the term that God gave us in Genesis chapter 2, a person who's going to be the one who enables you to, to, to move through life, particularly in a spiritual sense, and you're making that decision in a point in your life where, uh, you know, whether or not you have a tremendous amount of experience on that might not be the case, and yet it right up there next to being a disciple of Christ is probably the most life-defining, happiness, joy, contentment, peace-defining decision that you're going to make. Right along with that idea is who is it you're going to associate with? Who are going to be your friends? Who are the people that are going to uh, define the characteristics of your life? These are the critical decisions, the hallway you walk down. And as I said, in particular, when you're in a younger age, you're walking down this hall with these doors. And it's not like you can just say, well, I'm just going to go past them. You've got to choose. You have to choose whether or not you open these doors and, and how to know which door is which. That's what you want to be equipped to do. Because you open the wrong door and the lion devours. And we just can't say enough how important it is from, uh, from the experience of those of us who maybe uh, we can honestly say, I, you know, I didn't open the right door at the right time. I opened the wrong door, whatever it might be. We're going to say, you know what, don't make my mistake. Open the right one now. Let's just spend a couple of minutes this morning talking about that first choice that I talked about a second ago. The choice to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I need you to get your Bible out. And I need you to go with me over to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14 is where I want you to be with me for a second and talk about the concept of discipleship. I like the word discipleship. A disciple means a follower, somebody who, who uh, follows somebody else. The New Testament loves to use the word disciple to describe the people uh, that are the people of God, a Christian, 
a saint, lots of words to get used, a child of God. Luke 14, verse 25, Jesus had a lot to say about discipleship, but here's a passage I want you to think about. As Jesus is trying to describe how critical, how important this decision is, great multitudes went with him, with Jesus. He turned to them and said to them, here comes that decision moment. If anyone comes to me, does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Let me tell you what, that's a strange way to start off a conversation of, I'd like you to be my disciple. He starts by saying, what does it cost? You know, in a lot of ways, though, doesn't that kind of make sense? Uh, if you want to buy a new car, isn't like that, you know, if you go on Craigslist and you're looking at cars, I sometimes like to just look at things. Isn't that like the first thing you categorize by is the price, you know, you want a descending, descending order by how much it costs. You put in your limit what you're willing to pay. Jesus says, you want to be my disciple, it's expensive. It can cost you everything. What's interesting about what Jesus is saying is not that it's the idea we say, well, you know, Jesus, not a lot of people are going to want to be your disciple. Jesus understands that, but he wants you to know right up front that being his disciple isn't cheap. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. There it is again. What's it going to cost? For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost whether he has enough to finish it. Lest, after he has laid the foundation, is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet against him who has 20,000? Or else, while he... The other is still a great way off. It sends a delegation and asks for conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It's neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Yeah, I think it's kind of unusual that Jesus' first statements or Jesus' statements about inviting people to be his disciple is, this is costly. It is costly when you consider the discipleship of Jesus. Now, that all being said, of course, you might think to yourself, well, Brian, I happen to know what the cost of not being a disciple is. And that's also what Jesus wants you to think. Because he wants you to understand everything it's going to cost but he wants you to be successful because that's one of Jesus' big things about being a disciple is he doesn't just want you to be a disciple. He wants you to be a successful disciple. Indeed, that's what Jesus seems to be saying whenever he gives us a parable of discipleship. Uh, Mark chapter 4, 14. Uh, you know the parable, right? The parable of the seed where he talks about the sower, goes out and throws the seed everywhere, and lands on the road, lands in the bushes, lands in the rocks, lands in good soil, and each one kind of, uh, well, the first one doesn't respond with anything, but the other three each respond. And then he goes on in verse 14 to say, you know what I'm talking about is being a disciple. The sower sows the word. The seed, he says in Luke, he says the seed is the word of God. These ones on the wayside, the Bible might say on the road, are the ones where the word is uh, sown when they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes the word 
that was sown in their hearts. Now, I want you to think about this. What if, what if all of these soils, and by the way, the soil are people. What if they're the, those of us that, you know, we're in the church, we're, we're, we're young people in the church, and, and the Word of God's being thrown out right now, and we're thinking about what kind of person we're going to listen to. He says, well, the first one, the first soil, the first one is the one, and, and I should say a failed discipleship. Maybe it'd be fair to say just not a disciple at all. It's one who just totally rejects it. I'm just not interested. They'll never have an interest in these things. You know, I'm here because I have to be here, and I just have no interest in that. And he says, you know, that's the one where the seed lands, and Satan knows how valuable it is, and he goes and he takes it away, and, and you don't get it. You're a, you lose right from the beginning. You made the wrong choice not to choose Christ, and... And now your heart, the road, is only going to get harder as time goes by. Verse 16, he says, there, there's a, the next group. Remember in the parable, the story was the next group were those where it was kind of rocky ground and the seed started to grow. The plant grew a little bit and then fell over dead. He says, these likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who, when they hear the word, immediately they receive it with gladness. Have no root. In themselves, they endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. You know, I might think of this person like a, a person that says, you know, I, I, I'm a Christian, but I don't actually do anything Christian. Uh, I, I read one person who uh, was trying to describe different problems that young people face as disciples, and he says some are uh, total rejection. He says some are just kind of worldly Christians and, and in the scripture, you talk about those like in the stony ground. He says, they might have said they were Christian once, but nothing about them is Christian. Nothing about them is a disciple. And the first time it got hard to be a disciple, they just kind of quit. And maybe they tell people from time to time, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian, but they don't actually do anything about that. Then Jesus describes another one. So that first person was somebody who, who became a Christian, but they just... You know, the second, the first time it got hard, they, they gave up on it. And then he says, well, the next one is that person who got thrown in the weeds, and, and the soil's good there, the heart's good, but, the, but as the plant grew up, it grew into all those weeds, and those weeds strangled it. Jesus says, these are the ones sown in the thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things, enter again, choke the word, it becomes unfruitful. What's kind of interesting about that plant is it might stay alive. That's what I find interesting about it. It might not be that the plant dies, but it bears no fruit. It doesn't do anything practical. All the things in the world, it, it, you know, the, uh, and he uses different illustrations. It says, you know, the deceitfulness of riches, you know, pursuing wealth, pursuing uh, the things in the world around them. It killed being successful as a disciple and being successful bearing fruit talked this morning in class about the fruit of the Spirit. You want to bear the fruit of the Spirit because you want to be successful. You desperately crave the fruit of the Spirit. And he's saying there's some that they're just, they're just not growing anything. They're just not producing anything. And their, their discipleship is such a struggle just to stay alive. If you've ever seen a plant growing up in shade, it's deprived of the sunlight it so desperately needs that it just struggles to stay alive. 
this idea, you know, uh, the person I read about, they described it another way. They said this is the person who's, who's the occasional Christian or the sporadic Christian. And they, sometimes they'll, they'll have a spurt of, I want to be faithful, I want to do things. And then you just kind of get dragged back into the things around you and you just can't, you can't get out of it. And oh, years go by of this, I'm interested, I just kind of, I kind of lose it. I'm interested, I just kind of, you know, I can't stick with it. And a plant that grows that way doesn't produce fruit. And Jesus is saying, you know, there's that, that sporadic discipleship of, of just wanting to commit a whole bunch and then just kind of, just barely nominally staying with it. All three of these represent failure of some kind. One's just a failure to ever become a disciple. One's a failure because uh, they, they just don't stick with it and they die off. And then one's a failure because they just don't, they just don't commit themselves to cleaning out the things, the worldly things in the world around them that choke off being faithful. But then Jesus went on to say that there are those, verse 20, that are ones that are sown on the good ground, the good soil, but there's no obstacles of worldliness in their way. The, uh, the, the, the things that obstruct them, that they haven't cleared out of their heart, aren't there. And they're sown on good ground. They hear the word, accept it, they bear fruit. Like I said, I, you know, I like to think of the fruit of the Spirit. Although it could just be the idea that other people around them are interested because you think of a tree reproducing itself, of a plant reproducing itself, but it produces this fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. All the things that we, we covet and we crave and we want to have in our life. And he says this fourth person is that successful disciple. This is what we want for you. We want you to be a successful disciple. And it's not, uh, maybe I should say it like this, it's not just because that's a wonderful thing for the church to have, successful disciples, but we want it because it's the best thing you could have. It's the best thing your life could do. It's the most you could hope to be. Not to be president, not to be an astronaut. Might be me to be an astronaut. Can't take that one off the list yet. But the best thing that I, my life could have is Christ in me. And we want you to have it. And the biggest part of our church's purpose, and we've been talking a lot about church purposes, but I want you to think more personally now, is that we want our young people, who we are so grateful to God that He brought to us, that He gave us in our families and in our homes, that we want them to be prepared to open the door to successful discipleship. So let me throw you a couple ideas I want, to, I want you to think about. What does it mean, successful discipleship and making this choice? Number one, let me just say this, the sooner the better, is the first thing I put on your table to think about. Now I've got to be careful with this because I don't want to imply the idea that, uh, uh, you know, that somebody who's not prepared to be a Christian should become a Christian, but I do want you to understand, as I kind of come back to this thought in a second, that the sooner you make the decision, the better benefits you receive from a genuine embracing of the way. Because that's the second thing we want. We want it to be real. Because that's where the real results are. In a genuine discipleship. And knowing the difficulties that are in this journey we travel that's called life, we want you to be a committed disciple when it gets hard. Let me explain these ideas really quickly to you. Number one, let me, let me tell you what I mean by 
the sooner the better. The Word of God tells us that when you choose God, the sooner the better. Maybe it's Ecclesiastes when he's talking about wisdom and he says you need to remember your Creator in the days of your youth. He, he made a big deal out of this. We could elaborate on this passage and point out he says it gets harder and harder. Things like changing your way, changing your habits, changing your desires. The Word of God says it gets difficult as life moves on. And over time, we lose, we lose the ability to see the best things of the decisions that we make, it gets harder the longer you wait, in other words. The sooner, the better. I guess there's a lot of ways you could look at that, right? You could say, number one, uh, the sooner you choose Christ, the less bad habits you have to work yourself out of. You know, you don't believe me? Ask some of us who became Christians later in life and say, hey, what kind of things have you had to overcome? And we're going to say, there's a lot of things that I wouldn't have had to overcome. A lot of obstacles I wouldn't have had to, uh, to, to carry with me in life that I could have put aside a lot more rapidly if I had just made that choice earlier. I've talked to people on their deathbed and they say, you know, my greatest regret in life is I waited too long to pursue Christ. Now, they pursued Christ. They're going to get their reward. But they say, you know, but all the things I could have done better, all the consequences of my life, and uh, you know what they're really describing a lot is the consequences they have to carry with them in life. I wouldn't have had to have that. I kind of think of your life is like traveling with a suitcase. And every moment you're, you're not in Christ, the world hands you a brick to put in that suitcase. And after a while, it gets really heavy to carry. The problem is, some of those bricks, when you choose to become a disciple, you don't get to get rid of. A lot of us who, who became Christians later in life, we've got lots of things we have to carry with us, burdens, and, and, and they don't go away. They're like Paul's thorn in the flesh. They're going to be stuck with us. That had we pursued Christ earlier, we would have never had. And we desperately want our people in the critical moment to know that. That simple truth that if the sooner you put on Christ, the less of the consequences of worldliness you're going to have to suffer. And you will suffer because of that. Every decision you make with worldly things and uh, to pursue worldliness brings about a consequence that's going to make your life a little harder. The opposite of that is that the sooner I have chosen to be a disciple, so many of my other things in life, my relationship choices, my, uh, the person I choose to be my helpmeet, the decisions that I have that are following, that are after that choice of discipleship, those decisions are a lot better, are a lot more successful, bring me a lot more satisfaction. If discipleship is the thing that guided all of those decisions. If, I, if my relationship choices, whether it's my friends, whether it's my, you know, my uh, romantic relationships, whatever it might be, if those things are based on the world, I'm not going to find joy easily. If, if what I pursue in life is, is based on worldliness, if it's just getting rich and, and all those things like that, I actually won't find satisfaction because I don't have God with me. The sooner the better. That's the first thing we would want you to know. 
sooner you make this decision, the better all the other decisions become, because you're making them in that context. But we want you to genuinely make that decision. We want you to really genuinely embrace the way. That's the way Paul was talking to Timothy. You know, Paul and Timothy had such a special relationship. Paul, the older man, Timothy. You know, Timothy was probably a teenager when Paul first uh, brought him and made him his companion. And I say that uh, as a guess, but a guess based on the fact that 20, 25 years after Paul met him, Paul was still calling him young and saying he was still young. He's probably, like I said, he's probably just a teenager whenever he first made that decision to follow Christ. And, and he was thinking about Timothy's faith and he says, I want to call the genuine faith that is in you. And, and by the way, it was in his mother, it was in his grandmother. You see that, that wonderful familial connection. But it wasn't to say, you know, you believe just because your parents believe, your mother believed, you believe because your grandmother believed. He said they had a faith that you picked up real faith. And that's what we want people to have. We want you to say, you know, I don't believe because my parents believe. I believe because it's real and it's mine. And I've made it my own and I own it. Because that's the only faith that's going to work for you. That's going to that's gonna encompass everything in your life because... When that time comes for you to start making those choices that only you can make, only genuine faith is going to help you. You can't choose to, to pursue Christ just to appease, make somebody else happy. It's got to be your own decision. Because that's the only way you succeed at the moment when it gets hard. Think about that. In Jesus' parable, going back to the things that we saw, Jesus described, you know, that, that some, the soil has rocks, uh, that's, we have our own problems. But he described some as that they have to kind of grow through the worldliness around them, the, the weeds and the bushes and things like that. And I'd say, uh, one thing to consider is that, is that there's always weeds and bushes that are, that are right there that we have to overcome. There is always adversity to being a child of God. That's what Jesus started off by saying. Hey, you know, being a disciple, it can cost. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's, that's just something that happens to us. In Matthew 16, when Jesus was making his discipleship call uh, to, to, to restate the words that we saw there in Luke, he said, if anyone desires to come after me, deny himself. Take up his cross. It's going to be difficult at times. And that's what Jesus' parable was all about. He was saying, you know, there are people that are faithful right up until something else gets in the way. Let me, let me, let me paint that picture. Right up until your work calls and says, hey, we've got a great promotion for you, but you're going to have to work on Sunday. And suddenly, suddenly faithfulness goes to the back shelf or maybe it just drops away altogether. Something else gets in the way that's going to happen. I promise you it's going to happen. You're going to be in a world where other things are going to do their very best to stop you from being faithful. Because you have an adversary that's prepared to put those obstacles in front of you. Sometimes they're things you want. Sometimes they're things you don't want. A lot of people are faithful right up until the first time another Christian hurts their feelings. That's going to happen because we're people. Right up until the preacher says something silly or offensive and, uh, out of the pulpit that you think, you know, that was, that was a pretty tasteless thing to say and, and it hurts your feelings. And I don't, 
I, I don't mean to make hurting feelings sound trivial. I mean, it can be something horrible, something ugly, something nobody should have ever said. And somebody says, you know what, that's it, I'm done. I'm done with this work of faith because the people in it aren't that great. You know, the people in it aren't always that great. But genuine faith says, hey, I'm on this road not because of them. I'm here because of me. Real faith should never be deterred because somebody upsets you. In fact, it should be the kind of thing that says, hey, they, they try to bar me. I'm coming because I want, I want to get to heaven. That's the only way you're going to make it to heaven. That you have a faith that says, and I'm not going to let anybody stop me from being faithful. Some of the things that people do in life, do to us in life, that's going to happen. But genuine faith says, but I'm not letting that get in my way. I'm not letting that stop me. I've told you stories of, of experiences I've had. You've told me stories of experiences you've had that could have easily been the thing that made you say, I think I'm done. But instead, uh, we both made the decision to say, but you know what? That's not going to stop me. A lot of people are done. A lot of people say, you know what? That's it. I'm done. I quit. No more. And Satan won. And he, he's put the obstacle that causes us to stumble. Life gets difficult. Life gets hard. It gets busy. It gets complex. It gets ugly. It gets, it gets to a point where you think, you know what? I just don't have the time to do all of this. And what falls off? Well, what falls off is oftentimes the thing that we think has... Isn't this crazy? It's the thing that we think has the least importance. You know, being faithful, what's that going to get me? That's eternal life. That's a long way away. Ironically, it's really the thing that makes this life the most bearable. We're not getting rid of the thing we need least. We get rid of the thing we need most whenever life difficulty arises. We want, we want our young people, we want the people that are, uh, that are entering into adulthood and going down that hall, we want you to get to the end. We desperately need to do everything we can to help you to open the right doors. And nothing will stop you from being faithful. Let me show you the words of Paul. He, he made this statement in Romans 8, and I've always thought that Paul might be describing these things. He says, you know, I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, powers, things present, things to come, height, depth, things created, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, that's a profound passage, right? It's, it's really a neat passage, but I want you to think of the context of a conversation where Paul is trying to say, what will separate you from your God? Paul says, you know, there's nothing that has to separate you from God. He says, death itself, life itself, doesn't have to separate you from God. Angels or principalities or powers, you know, that uh, principalities could be Satan. It could be any uh, authority that says, we're going to stop you from being faithful. He says, that doesn't have to stop you. None of these things have to stop you. Things present, things to come. Nothing in life has to stop you from being faithful to God. So what does that imply? It's your decision that's going to, that's going to compel you to making the right choice. Let me say it one last time. There is an incredibly great benefit to making the choice to pursue the disciples of Christ. And a big part of that is in this life. 
And of course, like I said, uh, uh, fundamentally the big one is in the next life. That's, that's really what we're looking for. But your life now is affected by this decision and the decisions you make and the way of Christ is designed to bring, uh, to bring to your life now that fruit of the Spirit that we so desperately crave. Because that's what everybody really wants. That's what the billionaire wants. When he chases money, he really wants the fruit of the Spirit. He wants acceptance. He wants joy. He wants, he wants reason. And he, and he chases money because he doesn't know where to find it. So the person who pursues fame, what they really want is the fruit of the Spirit. Choosing Christ is what gets that for you. And what we have said is that the sooner you make that choice, the better the benefit's going to be in this life. The greater the things that you're going to receive out of that choice. The fewer burdens that the world places on you because of that. That's all true to make that choice. But we've got to encourage you to make it your own choice. And that's the thing we want to tell you. Let's take a second and let's go to our Father in a word of prayer. Would you bow your heads? Would you pray with me? Holy Father in heaven, we love you and we thank you for the opportunity to know you and to be called the children of God because we have believed in your Son, because we have obeyed your Son. Father, we're so very grateful of this adoption by grace and the great many benefits it has. Father, this morning as we look out as a congregation, Father, it's our desire that our youngest members have a sense of how important they are to all of us, that they are in many ways one of the great purposes of this body, uh, certainly our purpose in pursuing your righteousness, is that we might equip them to make these choices that they're having to make in their lives. Father, help them to see the importance of these things and to understand the consequences of, of, of making the wrong decisions in their life. And help them to see the consequences of making the right ones. Because, Father, we, we believe that if they can see how great the benefits are to the discipleship of Christ, we believe that they would choose that. Help us to reflect it in our lives, in our words, in our deeds, in everything we are. How valuable discipleship in Jesus Christ is. Be with us in this new week and enable us, Father, to do what is right in your sight. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Never told you the answer to the riddle, right? Um, I think a lot of you might know that riddle. It's, it's not one I came up with. It's an old one. Two doors. One is to something wonderful. One is to something terrible. That lion, the money. What do you do? Well, the answer to the riddle is, if you only have one question, you don't know which guy to ask, if you, you know, and you're just at, you don't know which one is which. One's going to lie to you, and you say, hey, what's behind your door? And he'll lie to you, and so you can't know. And the one over here, he'll tell you the truth, but you don't know if he's a liar or not. Well, the answer to the riddle is you ask one of the doorkeepers, it doesn't matter which one, what would the other guy say? And then you do the opposite. You see, if you ask the guy that tells you the truth, if you say, which door will he tell me is the reward? Well, the truth teller will tell you the truth that he would lie. And then he would say, this is the door. And you'd know, well, that's not the door. Now, if you go to the one who lies, you say, hey, which door will he tell me? Well, he'll lie about which door that guy will tell you. And so you know that his lie means that you wouldn't want to believe that either. So you can ask either one of them that question, 
And you'll know by whichever one it is, which way to go. Cute little riddle. You know, it's interesting, the Word of God describes the idea that life is about two doors and two doorkeepers. The first door is the door to destruction. Jesus was talking about it in Matthew 7, verse 13. He said it's wide. He calls it a gate. He says, wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction. You know who the doorkeeper to that one is, right? The father of lies. That's why I think it's interesting that the, that old riddle is about somebody who lies all the time. And the Word of God says Satan is the father of lies and, and, and that he's deceitful from the very beginning. Now the other door, Jesus says, John 10, verse 9, he says, I am the door. And he's that doorkeeper. Well, he is the door. He's the way. He is the truth and the light. So you see that riddle Actually, it's kind of real. Because you have two doors. Now, the irony is, you actually know which one is which. The trick is not to want to believe the lie, but to choose the right door. The right question. And the question is, what must I do to be saved? And the right answer is, we must, well, the Word of God, when they ask that in Acts chapter 2 and verse 37, Acts chapter 16 and verse 30, what must I do? to be saved, the answer was always the same. That after hearing the Word of God and believing and confessing Jesus with our mouth that we must repent of our sins, turn away and be baptized into Jesus Christ to wash away our sins. In doing so, we pass through the truth, the door, Christ. And we enter in, the Bible says, to an adoption by grace, to discipleship, to Eternal life. Every time we're together, we offer the riddle, don't we? We say, pick a door. Because many people have already chosen the door of darkness, but it's not too late that you can actually reverse that decision now and come to the door of truth and have eternal life. And you know what you need to ask. And you know what the answer is. And if we said something this morning and you need, you know you need to do something, we would want to help. We want to, we want to talk to you about that. We want to encourage you about that. Maybe you need to visit with us after service. But maybe you need to do something right now. And if you do, we're ready. We want to help. Whatever that need might be, you need to talk about it. You can come visit with me right now when we stand and we sing a song of encouragement. Yeah, those